Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 633. Every hair on my body stands suddenly on end. I had a moment of perfect, clear lucidity that resembled coming up for air and quickly closed my eyes, trying to lower myself into the heart of stone. It didn't come. For the first time in my life, that cool, taciturn state escaped me. Behind my eyes, Valerian distracted me. The sweet breath, the soft breast, the urgent, half-despairing sighs that slipped through hungry, petal-tender lips. Stone! I kept my eyes closed and wrapped the calm rationality of heart of stone around me like a mantle before I dared even think of her again. What did I know? I brought to mind a hundred stories of Valerian and plucked out the recurring themes. Valerian was beautiful. She charmed mortal men. They followed her into the Fae and died in her embrace. How did they die? It was fairly simple to guess. Extreme physical stress. Things had been rather rigorous, and the sedentary or frail might not have fared so well as I. Now that I stopped to notice, my entire body felt like a well-rung rag. My shoulders ached, my knees burned, and my neck bore the sweet bruising of love bites from my right ear down my chest and... My body flushed, and I struggled deeper into the heart of stone until my pulse slowed, and I could force the thought of her from the front of my mind. I could remember four stories where men had come back from the Fae alive, all of them cracked as the potter's cobbles. What manner of madness did they exhibit? Obsessive behavior, accidental death due to separation from reality, and wasting away from extreme melancholy. Three died within a span of days. The fourth story told of the man lasting nearly half a year. But something didn't make sense. Admittedly, Falurian was lovely. Skilled? Without a doubt. But to the extent that every man died or went insane? No. It simply wasn't likely. I don't mean to belittle the experience. I don't doubt for a second that it had quite naturally deprived men of their faculties in the past. I, however, knew myself to be quite sane. I briefly entertained the notion that I was insane and didn't know it. Then I considered the possibility that I had always been insane, acknowledged it as more likely than the former, then pushed both thoughts from my mind. Eyes still closed, I lay there, enjoying a quiet languor of a sort I'd never felt before. I savored the moment, then opened my eyes and prepared to make my escape. I looked around the pavilion at silken draperies and scattered cushions. These were only ornaments for Falurian. She lay in the middle of it all, all rounded hip and slender leg and lithe muscle shifting underneath her skin. She was watching me. That's the page. I'm Jeremy. I'm Jordana. I'm Nick. I have things. I think, actually, I have a thing just because I think it's funny. Um, When he's like, oh yeah, like, I'm just, t like, these are, like, my knees are burning and my neck is, is like, all covered in, in love bites. And then he, like, he's like, right down my chest and and it's like dot 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 and it, it's funny because <laughs> we Rock. know where they go <laughs> absolutely and his body flushes we know we know what happens then too rothfuss is really good at describing the state of being ramston steel horny without ever like getting all that explicit um ramston steel horny is a hilarious term I'm so glad you approve. Uh, I will be trademarking that one. That's a t-shirt. I am not making that t-shirt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, tagline, the horniest you'll ever be until it breaks. That's <laughs> so funny, but I'm not making that t-shirt. It's not happening. Listeners write in and say you want that t-shirt.
I wanted to say that it seems that Kvothe is really only able to shake off the the spell because he knows Heart of Stone. Yes, exactly. Maybe that is why he's able to escape because he is the most special boy and he has this sort of mental preparation from his time with not just the Ar- Arcanus, Arcanum, but also from Ben. And even with Heart of Stone, it's not like it's not a sure thing, right? He is fighting to stay in Heart of Stone because he every time his mind starts to wander even a little bit to what has just happened and who he is with, he starts to lose it. Mm-hmm. It definitely gives it a more magical feel. Like it feels like a potent magic because of that. Mm-hmm. But by the end, he has decided to escape. He he has, does a very logical breakdown of what he knows about Florian. And he goes, well, going to have to make a run for it. And of course, that does not happen just yet. He kind of rational, rationalizes his way into thinking, all the men who have been with Flurian and escaped in their lives in the stories, they can't really all have died. That's like, that doesn't seem right to me. But he still is like, but I'd, but I'd better be safe and escape before she wakes up, is his thinking. Which, like, you know, playing it safe, good tactic. I was saying I like the description that the the silken draperies and the scattered cushions are ornaments for Fulurian. I think that uh, says a lot about the environment that she creates for herself. Because I do feel like it's, you know, it's magical. It sort of orients itself around her. Like she is the centerpiece of wherever she is. And all the other things in it are not decorations to make the space nicer. They're ornaments for, to accentuate her. She's on display. And I think you're quite right that she does not like have the mortal needs that Quoth does. You know, she probably she doesn't she might not even need to sleep. In fact, she might not even be asleep when he thinks that she is, right? Especially given that these things are mm. ornaments for her. She like this might all be a tableau she's created. Maybe he's the first guy in a while to survive the night. And now she's like, Oh, that's kind of interesting. I'll let's see what he does if he thinks I'm asleep when he wakes up. Maybe she's giving him the chance to run away. Maybe the decision to run away is also part of the spell, right? Like, who knows to what extent Quoth's path and logic is, like, is his own devising. We know that she can sort of, like, turn it up. I think there's a time later on when she, like, turns up the spell and Quoth's mind kind of falls away from him. I'm not sure if I'm misremembering that. But certainly, like I, I, like I was saying the other day, when uh, when Quoth first kind of fell for it, I was wondering, like, how much of it was Quoth actually saying, you know what, I'm going to go with Fleur and how much of it was him thinking he was deciding to do it. I'm wondering, like, is she giving him, you know, she's uh, what's the the metaphor here? I don't I don't fish very often, but there's a metaphor where you like you give them some line so that they get to, like, escape a little bit uh, before you reel them in. And I feel like that might be what's happening here. Florian is like loosening the leash a little bit so that he feels like he's got a little bit of flexibility so he, she can play with him. Well, there's that saying that's like enough rope to hang yourself. Yeah, it's a little bit like that. I think it's a little more like a cat letting the mouse run so that it can chase it. Oh, that makes more sense. Yeah. I, I really think based on my recollection of having read this book like many years ago now, I seem to remember Fullerian as striking me as very lonely. Like ultimately she's lonely because the, you know, the only people she encounters are the men who she sexes to death. And you kind of get the sense that Quoth is like more interesting than any of them because he has survived her. And she kind of doesn't want him to leave because he's a, a plaything that she can't break or hasn't broken yet. Yes. That actually comes up very soon. I think that's in this very chapter. Quoth makes that connection. 
I feel like the time we get with Valerian is pretty short, but it's also very impactful. In what sense? Like, it, nobody forgets this part of the book. <laughs> yeah, no, indeed. Well, because this is one of the things in the book that happens that is like explicitly magical, makes no bones or equivocation about it. Like it's well, it makes a few. There, hang on, Jeremy. There's a few bones. As we discussed on several pages ago, one of the things that is not in contention is that Valerian is like a magical fae being from another dimension who is like the living embodiment of sex. Yes, but they do bone. Well, they do bone. They do bone. That is true. Oh, that's uh, what you meant about bones. But my my larger point being that, like, I think one of the reasons this sequence is so memorable is because it is so explicitly fantastical and so much of the rest of this book is taking a fantastic thing and then kind of poking holes in the fantasy of it. So are, are you saying that, like, one way that a new reader might look at this book is they're like, oh, yeah, well, the Dracus wasn't as much of like a real fantasy thing as I thought it was going to be. So maybe this isn't either. I guess I'm kind of saying the opposite because oh. I'm saying a, a, a first time reader and like, okay, me, the reader who has read this book several times is finds the Dracus kind of underwhelming. Whereas I find Falurian entirely whelming. She is exactly what it said she'd be on the back of the book. Yeah. And I think that's part of the, like the fact that it's not undercut by some mundane reality, I think is intentional. Like we're, we're, we're off the map here, right? Like to use the metaphor that Martin used, uh, we are kind of on the edge of civilization. We're at the place where magic is is more real, and Quoth is moving away from mundane hero who kind of understands that the way the world works a certain way and can use it in his advantage to like actual storybook hero. Yeah, and like there are other supernatural things have happened in the book before this but they're always brief we don't really get a good sense of them and sometimes Quoth can even kind of rationalize them away as like not being entirely magical and if he can't then they're like they're so mysterious like the Chandrian like that seems pretty supernatural when Haliax like takes them all up in his cape and disappears but it's just like a brief moment and we don't really know what's going on. Valurian is the first like explicitly supernatural phenomenon that the book sits us down with and says, okay, we're going to spend some time in the Fey realm with Valurian and we're going to encounter a bunch of magical stuff and some of it's even going to be explained. And I'm just trying to see in my mind's eye, in my memory, this lasts a fairly long time, this sequence. And I remember thinking like, uh, or at least I remember, I don't even know if I actually did think this, but at some point when I was considering the book, I remember thinking like, oh, he just messes around in the Fae for a really long time and it's really boring. Now that we're reading it again, I would in doing this close reading, I like to ask myself, what's part of the greater story? What's the purpose of, of these things happening? He does spend a good long time in the Fae. Like I'm looking here. It goes on for like 70 pages longer. But compared to like yeah. the time that he spends with the mayor, it feels shorter. Yeah. He leaves her on page 693 and we're on page 6 6 uh, sorry 633 right now. So it's 60 pages exactly from here that he uh leaves Fulurian behind. So that's like a that's a pretty good chunk. 60 pages out of a 1000 page book. That's that's not nothing. Um and I mean in all of that time there's a lot of incident. Uh he, he there's still the he has the naming battle with her where she sort of like 
starts to treat him more as a peer afterwards and less as a, as a prisoner. He convinces her to let him go. She makes the shade. Uh, he finds the, or he gets, uh, he finds the Cathay and they have that sequence. And there's also one or two uh, interludes in that time. So there's a fair bit of, of incident here. He doesn't just lay around and bone. Indeed. I, but I do think that it's worth noting that it is 60 pages out of like, or let, let us be generous and say 70 and include like the part where he chases her. It is 70 pages out of a thousand page novel. And yet, as you already said, Jordan, like it really registers in the mind. as like one of the most important sequences in the book. Well, that's one of the things I like about this book. We talked about this a lot, but like thinking about this book versus the wise man, uh, the name of the wind, Whereas the name of the wind, he spends a lot of time at the university and sort of in your mind, there's like, you know, it's very focused on university here. A ton of stuff happens. There's like the mayor's court. There's the journey in the forest. There's Valerian. There's the Adam. There's the Cathay. Um, and there's even a whole bunch of stuff in, in the university, like fully the first half of the book is at the university. So like there's a ton of incident and scenes and set pieces in this book, which is maybe why it feels to me a little bit more like vibrant sure yeah i think that's also like it has that's sort of the way that i feel like second books should go against first books because in the first book you got to set everything up and i feel like that requires like staying in the same place for a while even in the first book he he does a lot of traveling you know there's the university there's him being lost in the forest there's the prelude there's the town of treban so you know it's even in the first book he doesn't just stick stay in one place the whole time but it's just interesting, like in books that are okay, to be fair, this this book in particular is quite long. Still feels to me like a lot gets packed in. Mm-hmm. And speaking of packing a lot in, we're going to pack in one letter. Mailbag. To this episode. This uh, letter is from Artificer Alex, who writes three things from a first time writer. Greetings, Jordanic. I am a first time writer here. I seek to write about three things. The first is that I am a machine builder. And one thing I often use is shims. In machinist's terms, they are small, thin pieces of metal or plastic used to shift something precise, minuscule amounts like 0.005 inches or 0.127 millimeters for civilized folk. Also, you asked us to try to explain Quoth's as above, so below, lightning move. So Quoth is at a higher elevation to the bandit camp. What if he just bound the arrows to each other and then had Martin shoot an arrow high into the tree? Therefore, the path of lightning is the top of the tree to the arrow to the bound arrow to the ground near Quoth. Although that assumes you can pass electrical current through sympathy, and I have no idea if that's possible. The third is that I must thank you for making my job more enjoyable. Building machines is easier when I can listen to your podcast as I work. I think you all do a wonderful job commentating, and I appreciate the bits and tangents. Anyway, I'm all out of things. Warm thanks from Artificer Alex. Thank you for writing. Great to hear from you. Glad to hear that there's a real use for shims, and it seems like they're actually like units of measurement units of, of like useful tools i always thought of them as being just like shards of metal that you dispose of but i learned something today i mean i guess if you have a good a good shim you don't want to you want to keep it around because it's going to be useful again I feel like there's a t-shirt there too you know a good shim a good shim is worth two or something like that i don't know and i i'm now that you're talking about it i feel like jamming the arrow into the ground and then binding it to the tree like gives it the property of being grounded or something like, I don't know if it's necessarily passing current literally between the the arrows, but it seems to me that by jamming it into the ground and then binding it sympathetically, it has, like, given it the property of being grounded into the earth, which, as we all know, is uh, 
good for conducting electricity. Yeah. Well, hold on. That actually makes sense because the Quoth binds the arrow that's in the tree that he gets Martin to shoot to the arrow that he puts in the ground, thus grounding the the arrow in the tree. And we all know that lightning seeks the shortest path to the ground. So if you make that the tree. Okay. Okay. Solved. Like the reason that lightning is likely to strike the tallest thing is because then the lightning has a shorter distance to travel. So if you combine that natural property of the tree by also making the tree the ground through the arrow. Mm. I'm sold. All right. We'll find out what well, Jordana sold, sold for on tomorrow's page. <laughs> <laughs> Halloween.